0: Hey, everybody, this is Eddie Dacius. We're here for another episode with Divine Purpose Podcast. Um, Today, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Pascal Sablan. And we're definitely going to have a time to learn about a journey uh, a passion thing she she's currently doing. Um, for us, we have our sponsors, so let's uh, give a shout out to our sponsors. So if you're looking for a great headshot, so you have to call Barry Brownstein. It will give you a good headshot for your LinkedIn, for your website, for your resume. Call them.
1: Did you know that most people would rather have root canal versus having their headshot taken? Hi, I'm Barry Bronstein of Barry Bronstein Photography and I create headshots that people love. When you work with me, I help you to feel comfortable, show and teach you how to smile, to feel at ease in front of the camera, and light you in a way that makes you look great. Groups of six or more, I take the studio to you. Either way, it would be great to work together to create headshots you'll actually love.
0: Yes, uh, Barry Bronson should be your your first choice. Call them now, 781-237-0495 or go on his website, photography.com. So we have Divine Podcast today and we also have another sponsor. That's his Fasera Management. They will manage your property with a variety of services. Call them now, 617-237-0106 right now they should be your first choice for any property needs
1: do you want to maximize the value of your commercial property and achieve optimal productivity and efficiency in your day-to-day business operations that's where dasius facilities management can help dfm offers boston area businesses help in key areas like building and preventive maintenance handyman services project and vendor management and even security consulting at competitive rates Call Dacius Facilities Management now at 617-237-0106 or visit DaciusFM.com today.
0: Wow, so six one seven two three seven zero one zero six. La like, like promised we have a great guest. Um, she's an architect and her name is Pascal Soblan and she she's a visionary architect with an impressive track record of transforming the built environment. As an associate principal at RJ Associates, she brings over fifteen years of experience and unparalleled passion for design structures that serve society those are my words and we're gonna have the the privilege a great honor to have um pascal with us today and we're gonna ask her how she's doing hey pascal how are you
2: hello everyone i'm doing good excited for this amazing juneteenth holiday
0: Yes, uh, that's great to to mention that, and we really appreciate having you. So let's start with this um, podcast. Uh, This is the Divine Purpose Podcast with our guest, Pascal Soblanc.
1: Welcome to the Divine Purpose Podcast, where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life. Have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader or about knowing the secrets of life through the Bible? How about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits? We will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now, here's your host, Eddie Dashius, founder of Dashius Facilities Management.
0: Yes. Uh, like we said, we have a great guest. Um, I think uh, I'm excited because I'm more excited because she's an architect. I'm a project manager. So there will be a lot of questions related to construction. And and one thing I realized, I feel like when uh, we have creator, people who can take their creative style into construction, that's... M- Speak volume, and we're gonna her, we're gonna learn about her journey. We're gonna learn about her path and all oh, all oh, she got to be an architect. And the first question we're gonna ask her, and we always ask our guests that question: Why can you tell us about you today?
2: Oh, that's a big question. What can I tell you about me? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a person who's privileged with purpose, um, who really found that architecture is the profession for me, but not just in terms of the projects that I realized from imagination through construction, but yeah. really uh, impacting the profession as well. And that has really sculpted mm. the ways in which I've interacted with the profession by making sure that I um, volunteer in positions of leadership and holds various roles. So in addition to being an associate principal at AJ Associates, I'm also the president of the National Organization of Minority Architects, who is officially a global organization that fights for equity and justice and representation in the profession um, across the country and now globally. So under my presidency, my presidential platform was to turn NOMA global. And so we have our official first uh, international chapter, uh, UK NOMA, which I'm really proud and excited about. I also started an advocacy organization called Beyond the Built Environment, where we elevate and highlight the work and contributions and identities of women and people of color, just so that we can continue to diversify of access to talent, to document, keep record, um, and also to engage greater society in the work that we do and the way that, that, that impacts their world. And so that they can have a larger role in, in designing and deciding their built environment. <laughs>
0: Uh, Let let me take this moment to give you some more flowers. It's not like you need it, but (laughs) so uh, Pascal education background include a bachelor in uh, architecture from Pratt Institute and a master of science in advanced architectural design from Columbia University so that's that's a lot and we we we're gonna talk about some challenges right so can you share three challenging event in your life and how did they challenge you
2: sure great question um so i I was always a very good student, Caribbean parents, they don't play, they don't play them games. Um, And so my pathways or options for uh, occupation was usually doctor or lawyer. Um, And it wasn't until I was commissioned to do this mural at the Palmanac Community Center in Queens Wow. where somebody walked by and said, wow, you can draw straight lines without a ruler. That's a great skill for an architect to have. And so if this person didn't have this out loud thought, I don't know when the profession would have really been offered to me as a potential pathway. But architecture was it. That was like, that, it was perfect. It was a way of reusing my creativity in a way that was respectful and uh, impactful to the world. And so since I was 11 years old, architect was always my answer in terms of what are you going to be when you grow up? So no one should be surprised about that. Um, To get a five-year bachelor's degree in architecture is quite rare. There's not many schools that actually offer that program. So I was really lucky and fortunate to have Pratt uh, right here in New York, in Brooklyn, offer one of the best programs for it. And so the other reason why I really want to do a bachelor's degree in architecture is because year one you're already starting your architecture classes whereas if you went to other schools you'd have to do a liberal arts or a different profession first and then do a master's so i really was like okay it's been forever since i've been saying that this is what i want to do so Mm. i want to jump right in um within my first first or second week of school um a professor in an architecture history class asked two of us to stand up um and i thought we were being kind of um or place for a leadership or, you know, doing some kind of activity in the class. And he said, okay, these two will never become architects because they're black and because they're women. And it's a oh, classroom.
0: Oh, oh. It's like, what? Really? It's
2: really. And so this is a classroom of maybe 60 to 70 students. And, um, you know, I was surprised that a professor who didn't know my name nor my capacity would make such a strong proclamation. I was surprised that out of all these students, only two of us were Black women. Um, And I was also quite sad by the silence of my peers. And so when I sat down, the student to my left, I'll never forget, said, you better, you know, not let that deter you, prove him wrong, right? He clearly used more colorful words, but I'm being nice to your audience. Um, And as a competitive person, that was the sentence I needed to hear in that moment to persevere because I had never experienced anything like that before. Um, But that was also when I realized that when I became an architect, it wasn't just in the products that we were doing, but also how do I make the profession itself more equitable and just?
0: What I had a guess. Um, we just released that video. Her name is um, Sabrina Jack, and she was uh, she was like she she did a great job when she came here from Haiti, and she had a bunch of offers from great um, universities. And a counselor told her she can only go to a community college, and she had like scholarships. <laughs> and like she got mad but kind of relate to your story so let's go about um the proudest achievement so far
2: that one's a tough one um to become an architect to call yourself an architect you actually have to um, get an accredited degree. Yeah. You have to do X amount of years of hours of internships, uh, which could either be called IDP back in my day. And now they're called AXP with a few years of interning at an architecture firm. You also have to take exams. Um, also back in my day, there were seven exams. I think now there's six and you have to do all these things to be, call yourself an architect. And Uh, Up until then, you can only call yourself a designer you can't even like indicate architectural designer or anything. It has to be very specific about how you use that term. Yeah. And so for me, I was never a good test taker. I was always a hard worker. Right. I, you know, you know, very good attendance in my classes, did all the extra credit when it came to projects. I went all out. But testing was never kind of my my thing, not my love language. And so. I struggled through the examination process and it took me 14 tests before I passed the seven that were required. And so some I passed the first time, some it took the second, some it took four times before I passed it. And they had something called, you know, every time you took the test, you waited six weeks before you found your results. And if you didn't pass, you had to wait six months before you could take that test again. Again. Yeah. So it really made the process like a five-year process uh, From me personally, where for others it might be much faster. Um, I cried a lot. I very much cried a lot. very wow. Frustrated by this process, but you know, persevered um, and uh, was able to become a registered, licensed architect of New York in uh, 2014. And in doing so, became the 315th living African American woman architect in the United States. And that wow. was um, such an important. Uh, achievement where I'm extremely proud because that really was something that I struggled for for a very long time it really took a village of like my family my friends helping me study um, to help me get there and that was uh, for me a lifelong dream that I was able to realize um, and then more recently in 2021 I I was awarded the AIA which is the American Institute of Architects, uh, Whitney M. Young Jr. Award for my advocacy work. So for the work that I was doing with NOMA and for Beyond the Built Environment, I was recognized and was given this amazing medal and give and shine for the work that I do to change the profession yeah. um, and that was a really proud a, a moment because it's one of the highest honors you can receive in the profession and I was getting it for elevating other people it was because I was serving yeah this my purpose is which I got it and by getting that uh, award, it automatically ascended me into the AIA College of Fellows, which is only 3% of the entire profession, um, which there's 115,000, I believe, architects in, in the US. Only 3% of us are fellows. And when I became a fellow, I became the youngest African-American um, to ever receive that honor in 167 years of that organization's history. Wow! so to have that medal <laughs> and to be a fellow, um, wow. And to know how I struggle with the exams and yeah. now where my place is, is really important. And that's why I'm always very honest about how challenging the exams are for, for, for me so that those who are struggling in that process know that it is not an indicator about how amazing or how great of an architect they can be. It's just a it's just one of those steps that we have to take to get there. Um, and so I guess that is my Two answers that I merged into one. <laughs> <then my> <laughs> That's Steven, perfect. Definitely.
0: That's perfect. And thank you for being so, for coming on with this, because some people will keep it, you know, very high, no lows, you know, so not sharing the struggle, but um, what kept you going? Because what kept you going every day or every six months going to take the test again? What was your motivation?
2: I really want to be an architect. I, I that, And what was powerful is when I told my parents that, you know, architecture is what I wanted to do, which we all knew. But when I got to high school, instead of applying to colleges, I was only applying to colleges with bachelor's degree programs, which is very specific programs across the country. So it was, you know, my mom was like, Pascal, if you get there and you don't like it and you have to change majors, you have to change schools. So let's make sure. So she signed me up for what's an architect a seminar in the city and that's wow. why I learned like, you know, how to use a metro card and I would come on Wednesdays and they would take us to construction sites, architecture firms, model shops, newly constructed projects and really had us meet a lot of architects so that we fully understood what it meant to be an architect and that really helped me solidify that that's absolutely what I wanted to be yeah. and to me to go through all that schooling and to not get my registration um, would just be uh, inadequate and would be, yeah, a, you yeah. know, a failure. So it, it just—I knew it was going to take how long it was going to take, um, but that I had to continue to to persevere and you know cry it out. And then once I was done crying, reopen the book and um, start over. And, and start over. Uh,
0: let, let, let's go back in your childhood memories. Any favorite childhood memories you can share with us? The your household dynamic
2: oh that's a big one um I don't know a childhood memory I would say growing up with my family um we were we we're a large bunch um but I you know was raised with my older brother Jeffrey uh who passed away um,
3: so I tell you that. um
2: yeah in a car accident many moons ago and actually I named my my middle my this my my son's middle name is Jeffrey as, as his namesake um so I think some of my favorite memories, childhood memories, is always kind of retelling and kind of letting Xavier know about Jeffrey and the kind of older brother that he was and kind of keeping him there. Um, but I think my favorite memories are my memories in my childhood is always us as a family, as a community, okay. uh, eating together, playing together, praying together, having fun together, getting in trouble together. <laughs> um, but, you know, my memories are always like around my family and people who love me.
0: And thank you for, for sharing. I appreciate that. So what's the best compliment you ever gotten?
2: Um, two weeks ago, I gave a seminar in, um, at the AIA conference, um, where they had 15,000 people. Um, and I talked about my journey, my advocacy work and, um, a young student or not a student. He wasn't a student. He's been working for five years. He came up to me and, and gave me a hug, a sincere hug and said, you changed my life. Like I've been in this profession for five years and I felt like wow. I never belonged up until I heard you speak today. Mm. And he, he, he's like, can I just have a picture? I just want a picture. <laughs> he's so, wow. sweet. Um, so, you know, I took a picture with him and we, you know, I, I follow him on social media and you know, he, Posted everywhere, you know, about fe- feeling seen, um, feeling welcomed, feeling feeling uh, inspired. And so that kind of compliments really me- means a lot because the work that I do is not easy. I'm, I'm challenging a lot of norms. I'm pushing a lot of boundaries. And um, the complaints and the pushback are quite quite often, but these moments of praise and to say, wow, this really uh, changed me. And that's just from me being my authentic self and sharing both the highs and the lows um, is probably one of my most recent compliments. Um, Another one is somebody posted a picture on social media and said, my daughter painted a portrait of, of, of Pascal Sablon for my history month. And I was like, Oh my God! Ooh, so and Got wow. like, oh, my curls and everything, so good. So it was um to see that I've started to um connect with generations,
0: generations, yeah. People
2: that I don't have a direct relationship or connection to that that I'm also having an impact um, is really meaningful.
0: Um, uh, let me take this moment to say it. I think I was reading a story on LinkedIn about you and another um woman receiving an award and I saw your name I, I think that was AI A-I-A. and I said nah, nah I gotta I have to get this person <laughs> on the podcast because I, I I that's that's what drive me like looking for people that can inspire others you know and I, I think um your life and your experience everything you accomplish will get great impact in the community and the next generation too um, I, I, So I
2: appreciate you saying that I think um, so because of COVID a lot of the ceremonies for AIA didn't occur so yeah. both the 2020 and the 2021 uh, Whitney M. Young Jr. so that's myself and Gabrielle Bullock in uh, California we had the amazing opportunity to uh, meet Barack Obama because of our award
3: wow um, that's great.
2: Case. And so that's uh part of the kind of amazing opportunity that came with that award is being able to so so the photo is with me and her and she's she won that award in 2020 and I was this recipient in 2021. That's wow. probably well, what you saw.
0: Um Yeah, yeah, that's what I saw, definitely. That's why yeah. I saw. Um let's talk about your parents and in terms of you know, uh I don't know if you wanna mention it, but I'll let you to kind of talk about your parents' um origin. But did they ever tell you they're proud of you? And when was that moment?
2: Oh, my goodness. So nonstop, always. My parents are like my best um, cheerleaders, if you will. Um, my mom is from an uh, area called Maïsad in uh, in Haiti. Um, and uh, she's an accountant and she's wow. a force. uh She's silly, but sweet. Um, but don't mess with her. Um, <laughs> that's seen some things she's, she's she's nobody to be messed with um my stepdad is uh, a, a yellow cab driver from new york um he's also from haiti uh, same air some same community my side so they grew up uh, together but he was like my side and hish um my dad uh is a doctor a pediatrician uh he's here he's also haitian i mean a whole haitian family um and my stepmom is jillian and she is a dietician um, that works for Clearwater here in New York. So um, I have a very impressive uh, uh, parent structure of people who love me, aunts and uncles. And I have 10 siblings um, as well. So that's why we're a very big, a big family. Um, I was, I'm actually here at my grandmother's house who just turned 94. Um, wow. so Is sharp. So like, you know, make gardening and making <laughs> big bowls of rice, um, and so I try to kind of talk about my heritage and my background and being first generation immigrant and really making sure um, we talk about the challenges and, and also identifying language barriers and talking about acceptance yeah. and equity in that space. Um, and so that's a little bit about like my family. So my family are always kind of a keeping me humble um, but also are always very proud of me and always cheering me on. Um, I'll give you an example um, Three weeks ago, um, yeah. I gave the commencement address for City Tech at the Barclay Center, which is a very big stadium here, to an audience of ten thousand people. And it wasn't till like the day before that I realized that I could bring guests. Okay, so, so I was like, "Hey, who wants to come?" My <laughs> brother, my mom was like, "We're <laughs> gonna be there." And so
0: they always, yeah, up. I like yeah. that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: I, you know, you know what I like. I, I like, and I, thank you. Like I said, this is great, and. Hearing that, this is perfect because we're trying to change the the image of Haiti, of our generation of people coming from Haiti. We resilient, we smart, we go in places, you know, but one thing I always like is whenever you invite them, they all want to (laughs) come. You know, they all want to come and that's always a good thing. So let's switch to this question I started to ask guests about it because it's so important. About is there one thing you knew before you started the career, your career (laughs) or something, one thing you wish you knew before you started your career?
2: Ooh, the one thing I wish I knew before I started my career. Um, I wish I knew the, the, the history a little bit more of our legacy in terms of people of color and women in the profession before starting. Um, You know, my professors and, you know, the material in which I was being taught were great and dynamic and, you know, world changing architects really was a reflective of my identity. And I think it would have allowed me to um, have more confidence within myself while going through this process. Had I known that, That information, Um, and that is why it's become part of my purpose to ensure that that information is accessible for the next group coming forward. Um, And so that's at the 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 root of a lot of work that I'm doing. So I I wish that I just was knowing a little bit more about really amazing, incredible women and people of color in the field and the profession because it's someone or it's it's a group of people that I didn't quite get to know until I really started to join Noma while I was a professional and really started to understand. That history and legacy, and trying to make that more accessible for other people.
0: So we have a question we asked about, uh, like, when what, what was your f- dream job in high school? I think you already answered that question, but mm-hmm. what was your first job then? And then, uh, like
3: yeah,
0: when I was like, a kid. Yeah, yeah. When you're when you were a kid, and then if you because the question is more about transferable skills. Mm-hmm. And what you learned from your first job, and you're still using now in your in your um, career, current profession
2: got it so my first job um when i was able to work when i was like 14 15 was actually a sacristan at my church uh and cambria heights queens um and so with that role basically you're the person who opens the church uh gets the ac going make sure everything's kind of set up you know like you prepare the church for the congregation and for the priests and the altar the altar service the kind that kind of come in and do their thing. So you've set everything up. Um and I remember I was the first ever woman sacristan of of Sacred Heart because a lot of the the switches for what functions in the church was located in the men's restroom. Okay if it was too hot or too cold and it needed to be adjusted, you would be going there, going in there when people were there. So I was like, I can just knock on the door and just say, hey, is it occupied, right? Like, so I kind of broke that mold, that stigma and was able to kind of go in. And also, so part of that work is that you also then ran okay. the, uh, you were the secretary of the rectory for a time slot as well. So you would answer phone calls and help book appointments and help, again, connect the community um, to, to the priest. And so I guess the transferable skills there was a just understanding that I can do anything. Right. Like just like nothing should be gender yeah. prescribed as it relates to uh, abilities and capacities to do a job well, um, to challenge people to rethink the way we do things in a way that allows them to allow for more opportunities for more people to do it. Um, but it also really was a job that p- focused and prioritized the community. Right okay. that was that, that was my number one boss, right? The community was my number one boss, the priests and everything else was like secondary and tertiary. And that's something that is also taken with me into the profession of architecture where the client isn't just simply the person who signs the check and who commissions the project, but it's also the people who are impacted by the products that we're creating that we're designing, that we're manifesting. um, and so that prioritization of people is quite important, and that skill set of being able to um into a church and have a, a a performance or like a service going forward and something going wrong and being able to troubleshoot, being able to be able to solve some things and not be able to get help immediately, but really trying to, um, provide comfort and provide, um, support to people to make sure that they feel welcome, that they feel comfort and they feel, um, that the church and the service is giving them everything that they need. Um, And it's still the church that I identify as my personal congregation, even though I live much further away. And and it's rare that I'm able to come home from mass at this particular church. But um, the, the way that I was kind of nurtured, supported, elevated in the community that I've built, I think, is very much indicative of who I am
0: today. Wow. Wow. So great to hear we 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 have a few minutes before we get to break, but um let me quickly ask you this question. In term of looking back off in your career, is there one thing you feel like didn't work out and you kinda have to forget it and then move on? Like a, a bad experience. <laughs>
2: You know, I don't know how to do that. I don't know Mm. how to let go. I I tend to lock in and uh, and feel that if I step away, that I'm quitting, and that is not the case, right? It's really learning about where the spaces and places that serve you. And so, I would say to answer that question is I worked for a firm um, that once I became a parent. became a problem, right? And I quickly pivoted and found another quickly, like within a year, was able to find another office that I was able to work at Um, and was able to find a place where I could be both an amazing architect and an incredible parent at the same time. And that was important because it wasn't me quitting, but it was me acknowledging that this space was no longer supportive okay. and no longer going to help sculpt the person uh, that I wanted to be. Um, that firm, I was there for 10, 11 years. It was an incredible firm, gr- incredible leaders, uh, worked on fantastic projects that I don't think I'll ever get a chance to work on again to that capacity. Um But that part of my identity was so strong and so important to me that I had to prioritize that over all the other kind of pluses. And at first, there was a fear that I would be changing the caliber of work or the kind of architect that I'd be able to do by prioritizing parenthood. But now I'm at an architecture firm with Sir David Ajay um, and he's one of the architects who did the Smithsonian in DC. Um, the wow, most, really? most, most prolific black architect in the world right now. Um, and that's who has been my mentor and has really elevated me in his office and the work that I've been doing. And so earlier this year, he promoted me to associate principal. Uh, and now I help co-lead the New York office uh, with the other two associate principals. And that's powerful because, The amount of women of color Mm. who are parents, Mm. who hold the title of principal at an architecture firm that they didn't start themselves in this industry is less than five. Wow. And so just so I, I know that I am, you know, in, in rare space and rare air, but that's also a reason why I try to widen the door as much as I possibly can and make for as much opportunities for other people um, coming through where there are things that are holding them back that, that has nothing to do with their capacities as architects or designers, but simply their their lifestyle and the families that they choose to have.
0: Wow. Well said. So let, let's take a quick break. Um, we had um this is Divine purpose podcast with um, Pascal Sablan, And before we go, let's, um, if you want to support our purpose, give a little help a lot. So let's create a brighter future by learning and sharing each other's journey. Donation amount can be from 25, 50, 100, uh, 500, but um, any donation of 500 or more comes with a free advertising slot on our podcast. You can call us 617-227-0106 or visit us um, um, dppodcast.com please scan um, the QR code to donate Uh, you can do Venmo you can do Cash App and you can do PayPal
1: what comes before making a smart decision choices a smart choice is the best option which is who we are that's why our clients expect more from us and in return get more in everything we do We understand the problem. That's why we thrive for excellence. We don't just create a winning culture. We aspire to be a smart choice, a voice for solutions. We believe in integrity, professionalism, and teamwork. Our passion is to bring results from our clients by working harder, smarter, and faster. As a team, we always deliver because we recognize your needs. Choosing smart influences us to be the best version of ourselves. That makes us different than other companies. It makes us confident in achieving our goals. It makes us who we are. And it makes us DFM. The Smart Choice.
0: Yes, um, DFM, the smart choice. Um, Like we said, we're excited to have Pascal Sablant today with us. Um, We're very, very excited because we get to the second part of this uh, great interview where we're going to ask some questions. Um, We're going to have our segment. We have Hot Topic. And then we have a new segment called... Trust me, I know, and I'm excited to to hear Pascal on "Trust Me, I Know" segment. But um, before we 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 go on 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 our segment, I have um one question. What is what is one piece of advice you would give somebody starting their career now?
2: I my favorite piece of advice to give um someone starting their career and or in school is college is the first path of like networking so the way you carry yourself in college the, the people that you meet the, your work ethic and how you get your projects done are things that people really see acknowledge and hold on to as they as you all graduate and so as you infiltrate into the profession y'all are getting hired in different firms and different offices some on the architecture side some on the developer side some on the construction side that as you kind of elevate in your professional career, so does, so do they. And so, um, networking as early as college is quite important. And the way you carry yourself while you're in college is quite important and indicative of the professional career that you're going to have. The second is that there was organizations and support groups out there that's, that's designed that has been founded and established uh, to support you in the work that you're doing. Um, And so it's important that we identify those support systems, not just our families, but really professional pathways that can connect you with mentors that can help you um, excel and thrive in the professions that you're in and also become a sounding board and a strategizing partner when navigating some of the challenges and, and the obstacles that are, embedded within your, your profession as well. Um, and so get involved, volunteer, participate, um, and then, you know, really start to craft that support system. And then lastly, 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 never have just one mentor. Uh, everybody has their talents. Everybody has their things that they excel at. And so identifying not just a perfect person, because that's really hard to find, but thinking about this, the different people in your kind of environment that, uh, have different skill sets that you want to emulate that you want to learn from and really leverage that. And so having multiple mentors that help guide you with different aspects is quite important and in, in strategic as well in the work that you're doing.
0: Wow. So uh, let's let's get into uh, our segment with hot topic. So hot topic is a segment where we're gonna ask you questions related to your career. Questions people won't have. Our audience would not have a chance to ask you. Let's uh, let's dive in right now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar with this sound. (laughs) So we're going to dive deep. So this question is related to um, your profession being an architect. So what's the day today like for an architect?
2: Well, that's the best part. The day-to-day for an architect is never the same. Uh, We are not a rigorous kind of profession like an accountant, like my mom who knows exactly what's happening on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Every project's different. Every site is different. Every client, the community is different. And so the day-to-day of an architect is one that is constantly learning. Um, For me, my day begins with getting me and my son ready for school, dropping him off, and then commuting to the office. Then I usually do um, catching up on emails and or kind of interviews and meetings uh, for NOMA in the mornings. Uh, Then I help co-lead the New York office. So I'm part of the decision making process as it relates to staffing, projects, contracts, proposals, um, things that we need to helping with the operations of the office as well. Yeah. Um, Then, you know, project meetings uh, meet with my team internally and or client meetings. Um, I also have sessions with the project managers of my office to kind of see how their products are doing as well to ensure that the viability and how they're performing as we move through the week. Um, And then at the end of the day, usually um, I come home and I, uh, you know, spend some time with my son. So I get home usually around seven and his bedtime is nine thirty. So from seven to nine thirty. There is no computers allowed. Uh, it's just me and Xavier time where we either play with dinosaurs, have, you know, play with cards, play tag, hide and seek, all that fun stuff. Um, and we both go to sleep quite early. Um, so that, that allows me to wake up around 4, 4.30 in the morning. And that in that time, I'm able to get back in front of my computer and continue to do my advocacy work. So that allows me to have him feel like he has my undivided attention but still get the rest that i need and be able to have the time i need to kind of move some of this advocacy efforts uh, forward um, in that work and then somewhere in the week i'm usually traveling somewhere whether it be for board meetings whether it be public speaking exhibitions openings um because i also curate exhibitions i've done 37 wow. exhibitions so far uh, the 38th one is opening um this month or next month, excuse me, in, in Arizona. So usually like, kind of working on those things are part of that effort that I do as well.
0: So, um, let, let's go, about. um, I don't know if you work on any building lately, but, uh, what's your process to, because, uh, it takes a lot into me as a project manager or facility project manager. I don't design anything. I just make sure I make, I work in the vision of whoever, design it, which, which is you, the architect. So, but where's the, where's the vision come from? Or do you like, because I saw some great building and I'm asking myself, <laughs> where did they find this inspiration, you know, to kind of get every detail right. And sometimes they go with a team where like in terms of like create the same type of element in throughout the whole building. So what's your process?
2: Sure. So at Ajay Associates, uh, Sir David Ajay is our kind of our fearless leader. He is the designer for all projects. Um, so there's most of our products are confidential, but there's two of them that is at least public. So I know I could talk about them. Um, the first is the National Palace of Haiti. So that has what, been. What, 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 <laughs> a- Oh, I thought you knew that.
0: Um a- what? Yo! Oh, what? Yeah. Ooh, you just. <laughs> <laughs> so Kisa, Kisa.
2: David won the design competition for the the reconstruction of the palace uh, before I joined the company. Um, but once I joined, he said, "You know, there's this great project in the Caribbean. I think you'd be really interested in." And he said that the National Palace of Haiti. And he starts to explain to me about Haiti and how amazing Haiti is. I'm like. David I'm Haitian he's like no way not not only that but I speak Creole, so it's been amazing and I travel to Haiti all the time and so it was it was it's been powerful to be able to go to business meetings and speak my (laughs) native tongue and my language and um, to be able to merge the cultural kind of nuances and kind of help inform the team about things that we need to consider as we develop the project um so that's one part oh, that i get oh, no, no.
0: maybe i'll ask you this uh over here because <laughs> i'm so excited wow i didn't know i didn't know anything of this yeah i mean there's a been question. a lot of
3: uh
2: you know, traumatic events in Haiti more recently. So that has clearly delayed the process and the project in a lot of significant ways. Um, but we are still part of the, we are still the team, um, part of the team, leading the team uh, to make the, to re- reconstruct the the National Palace of Haiti, that whole campus. So it's gonna be in a phenomenal project. I'm really proud to be affiliated and part of that work. Um, and I hope we're able to kind of re- really realize that sooner rather than later. Um, and the second project is the vision for Barbados Memorial and uh, Museum, uh, which is also an incredible site where there's a, a, there's a location in Barbados where they actually know the names and identities of the slaves that were buried on the site because they lived and worked and were buried in the same plantation. Um, And that is actually quite rare. Usually slaves were kind of put in a burial ground and not kind of interred on site. So my my understanding is that it's the only place in the world uh, where slaves were buried in the same site in which in the same plantation in which they worked at that capacity. So with over 500 remains um, on site, we're able to design this stunning Memorial uh, using rammed earth um, and really uh, these beautiful totem poles wood that speaks to each um, each ancestor that's uh, that's interred on the site and then having a museum not too far away where you're able to learn and document and keep history while having a place of remembrance at the same time. Um, you know, obviously at our firm, the process is a little bit different because it's David's vision, it's, it's him and his inspirations. And the way that we work at AJ Associates is that we actually have a research team of researchers who actually look in history documents um, and studies, understanding the culture or identity of the site and use that to inspire the team and to help make uh, dec- decisions as we go and re- realize projects. So. The other projects I'm not allowed to talk about publicly. No,
0: um, no, no, it makes sense. It's fine.
2: But these are the two that I think gives you a little bit of an insight of what it's like to, to be, to be me and to work at the, at the firm.
0: To, to be honest, the first one just satisfied me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm okay with uh, <laughs> the first one always. So uh, you, you um, there's, um I was reading. they said they call you the powerhouse woman. Ah. Why, why? <laughs>
2: You know, listen, I'm very flattered when Forbes uh, dropped that article and called me a powerhouse woman who's changing, changing the world for the better. And it's it's because I am a bit relentless. Uh, I am persistent and I believe that we. There should be justice, equity, diversity, and inclusivity as it relates to the profession and the work that we're doing. I think all of society should benefit from great quality design, not just those who are affluent and has deep financial pockets, but everyone should have designs that works for them. I'm also quite honest about how architecture has been used to facilitate and uh, perpetuate racism, sexism, and other forms of oppression, and that it's our role to be more aggressive and not passive as it relates to what gets built in our positions in what's getting built. And it's not just, oh, the client commissioned me, so what can I do? It's no client, I won't do this kind of work. I won't help build this kind of property. Um, I won't harm this community through this work and teach uh, through that work as well. And you know, um I, I found it funny that you know, just a, I think a year ago I was. Uh, Uh, featured on Oprah's platform and the future rising under the audacious category. And I was like, you know, that's quite accurate. I am audacious. I will stand in a room where I'm underrepresented and fight for justice, for our NOMA members, for our communities, um, and, and in an unabashed manner, in a respectful manner, um, but I do—I see justice. I see it tangible. I see it as what's necessary and immediate. And I find every and all avenues that I can to really make uh, make progress in that space.
0: Wow! Oh boy! Oh boy! That's 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 great! That's great! Um, I think I'm, I'm very—I'm over. Oof, I'm over the moon here yeah, because hearing everything you're saying and that's very impressive so l- let's talk about um, the message for, for our younger generation I have a daughter mm-hmm. and <clears throat> what's the mes- message will be for them and I know there's a lot of people who have kids in terms of um, successful so important is success for you as a woman a black woman
2: you know, that's a great question because that ha- that definition has been changing and altering as I've been navigating, right? And I think now when I think about what success is, success is a level of joy and peace that I carry in my mind as I navigate spaces. Because I am operating at high level, high pressure, high stakes uh, environments, whether it be at the office negotiating these deals or with projects where I'm fighting for community, Um or for Noma, as I as I advocate for us as the president, um, these are spaces that really are challenging, and it it's, it pulls a lot of energy from me. And so to be able to be to find joy, to find peace, to find rest within that work is quite important because I want the longevity. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to um, feel like I can't pr- move forward. I want it to be so well balanced in the way that I operate and navigate this world that it's something that I'm able to do till I take my last breath, right? Um yeah. But even like the idea of what's a professional, what is professionalism, is something that I've also been challenging. I used to like flat iron my hair and wear it, you know, bone straight and, you know, to be, to go to the office. And now I wear it curly and, you know, understanding that how my hair grows out of my head naturally is beautiful and professional. is something that I actually had to understand and learn as well. And that wasn't a lesson that I began until I started to have, until I became pregnant and thought how can I teach my child to love themselves if I go to such extraordinary lengths to change and alter how I look um, for the sake of, of subscribing to this European or Western idea of what beauty is. Right. Um, yeah. And so speaking power into myself, speaking love into myself is all, all part of that work so that I can permeate that and and put that seed into other people.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: and why I find that success is less about me, but really about elevating others, about mm. um, creating opportunities for others is, is quite important and, and at the root of my purpose.
0: Um, uh, the last question for hot topic would be about self-care, mm-hmm. um, where it's a big uh, topic now. So how do you go about self-care? <laughs>
2: I, I think I touched on it a little bit, which is like I'm. I go to sleep quite early, yeah. I, and I know um, people are like nine thirty or yuck. But I <laughs> promise you, um, being able to wake up at four four thirty in the morning and the first thing that I do. Um, is journal as you write for about an hour about yeah. what are the things that are on my mind uh what are the things that are stressing me out what are the things i'm happy about yeah. what are some of the goals that i'm setting for myself and really spend the time focusing on myself is quite important i actually also work out to help again my physical and uh, keep my body functioning well um aside from summer coming like right around the corner, but also I'm trying to live to like, I'm at least 100. I want to be around <laughs> for my kid. as and, and nah, nah, do great things.
0: You have your grandmas pushing it too.
2: I'm saying, <laughs> saying, you know, She's trying to hit 100. I'm trying to hit 100 as well. Um, and so that's part of the, 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 the structure of before I even start my day to fight for other people, I have to start the day nurturing, nurturing myself in a way that I don't feel the mom guilt. Right. Yeah. Um, And you know, and I also, the, the last part of like my self-care r- routine of the morning is that I, I usually wake up my kid with kisses. Okay. I, I I start him with love. I push as much love and power into him, waking him up. And so we starting the day giggling, we're starting the day, yeah. like having the best time and, you know, uh, cracking jokes and talking about our dreams. Um, and so that when we leave the house together, I feel that I've prepared him. Um, with an armor of love and I prepared myself with the same. Um, And that's part of my self-care routine is, is very much my morning routine.
0: Wow. Wow. Well said. Thank you for, for this. Um, This is Eddie Dacius with Divine Purpose podcast with Pascal Sablan. Let's go to a new segment. So I'm excited about this segment. It's called trust me. I know. And this segment is, is your, it might be your bragging Right, it might be a way to kinda focus on build your confidence. You can take it anywhere you, you want, but it's trust me, I know. Things you unapologetically um about it, like you're not gonna feel bad about saying them or things you really know that you confident you you had um you paid a price to to get where you are. So trust me, I know. Let's go with trust me, I know now. So it's going to be you on the screen. I'm not going to be being there. I'm not even. There's going to be you talking about something you're passionate about. And you, you know, you know that. So let's go with just me. I know with Pascal. Okay. <laughs>
2: Trust me, I know that women and people of color have impacted and changed the world in ways that we are uncovering still today. I fight to ensure that that is something that we start to correct. Um, I Google the word uh, great architects and see that women, there's only one woman who's listed uh, and one person of color who's listed. And when I spoke to Google headquarters and asked, why is this the case? They said, there's not enough content that lists you all as great. So I launched my great diverse designers library. And for every exhibition that I host where I elevate women and people of color of that community, that work is then put forth in this library it's called the great diverse designers library that elevates their work, their identity, and their contributions to the world. Um, and that's important because not only do is it that I know, so you can trust me, I want you all to know all this important work and these important figures that shapes your communities and know that that is also within your reach to have a similar and even more so prolific impact for your world and your community as well.
0: Wow. Well said. Well said. But um, can, I, can I add something because I probably gonna have to plug it in. I thought you said, trust me, I know Haiti Pal is going to be the best <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, but that's, that's good. Uh, So excited to have you and um, we're going to go. That's like our closing questions in terms of like, is there a question you wish I asked you today?
2: You did a great, great job, Eddie. No, you you, you left no stone uncovered. Um, you you got a, a little bit of who I am and I hope your your community uh, feels connected, hears the stories and feels inspired to do their own passion projects and also to navigate and engage in the built environment, both the profession and the world as much as possible.
0: So what the future holds for Pascal?
2: A future rooted in justice is a future that is not just for Pascal, but for all of us. Um, A continued success in NOMA's expansion as its presidency um, and continued success at our office as we continue to do great work around the world.
0: Food you can share with the audience today
2: sure my favorite food is akra uh which is oh yeah yeah that that does it for me every time um and there's a sweet story that goes with it um i traveled to haiti quite frequently um and one of my grandfather's sisters so grand aunt um she used to make the best so every time i come she would like fry some for me and when the earthquake happened <clears throat> Her house collapsed And she actually um, unfortunately passed away in, in, in so the I that. And when we were clearing Her site and clearing the, the debris They found the refrigerator And in the freezer was a jar Of like pre-made The paste for Akka with the name Pascal um, Written on it wow. And so Now every time I have some Akka I think of Gamma Lydia. Um And so it's both the most tastiest thing you've ever had but then also it makes me feel really loved and gives me gives me an opportunity to send her some love at the same time
0: um since you travel a lot to any favorite place to visit
2: you know um i'm always i, I love my side because that's just it's such the origin story for my family yeah, you bias,
0: um, you're biased it's fine i
2: am biased but i <laughs> did go see a place called and forgive me if i'm mispronouncing it fusi i had never i had just i I mean uh, haiti is just so magnificent to have just the various landscapes that is offered because to be in to go to my side that's in plato central so you actually have to uh, drive through a few mountains one week to get to it right so you're driving through the city then you're going up a mountain and so you're just seeing this beautiful lush beautiful country um, and then when you go to the coast, beautiful beaches, stunning beaches. Uh, but then to go to Fusi and see this like, it, it's like um, pine trees. It's, it's yeah. actually cold, like log cabin architecture. It's just, just a different dynamic. And it's because of its elevation, its location on the island that it has its own almost ecosystem within there and uh, and I just thought it was just so fascinating and so stunning, and just another jewel in Haiti's crown in terms of the beauty that this island um in this country offers the world.
0: Is there something you can share with the audience that um who don't who's not Asian who don't never travel to Haiti in terms of like places they have to visit it might be or food they have to try.
2: I mean, um, I, the only place in the world where I'll have fresh lumby is, is in Haiti on a beach. So if you ever find yourself in Haiti um, and you're on the beach, you know, you can actually hire the locals to actually go into the water and come back with a conch shell, which we call lumby, um, and they're able to take it out and... Um, prepare it with uh peppers oh it's so good um and you can eat it fresh on the, on the on the beach and that's actually the only place in the world that where i'll have that and it's quite delicious um i think the haitian beaches are, are quite beautiful and, and and warm and and stunning and so i would encourage you all to engage haiti both in the land, landscape but also on its coast as well
0: um. So, I think we they go, they're gonna say yeah, we talk about Haiti too much. But is that's there any, never any the other? Case. It's never, <laughs> never the case. Is there any other places uh, you you think that kind of similar or kind of the same standard to Haiti you visited?
2: Um, I love the island of Guam. Uh, Guam. Okay. Is about a twenty-four hour flight from New York. Um, to get to it's if everybody's ever been, been to Hawaii, it's another eight hours west of Hawaii on another flight to get to it. And it because of how remote it's it's a Pacific Island, the sky is so clear. Like I felt like I saw color for the first time. There's a there's a level of filtering that happens in the way we see the world because of the pollution. Yes. But when you're in some place that is so pure, you really, you're like, wow, this is blue, this is green. And what I love about their island, which is similar to Haiti, is that they know what to do with meat. They know what to do with seafood. They yeah. know how to make food like you wouldn't believe. Um, and they have a one dish um, called izuzu, which is a coconut crab. And what Man. I thought that was, was a crab made with coconuts, but no. It's a crab so large, it's like the size of your torso, that actually lives in coconut trees and palm trees, and it eats coconuts as its food. And so when you eat it's meat it's sweet oh my god it is amazing i've only <laughs> seen it in in, in guam um, wow.
0: guam is, is the next place to visit then.
2: wow it is delicious and it's a u.s territory so you know you don't need a password as long as it you can go what? straight over and hang out wow um, that's great just be ready that's for good. a long flight but once you're there you will be very happy with everything you eat um and <gasps> this the 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 coral reef is like 50 miles, which means the water doesn't get too deep, but there's beautiful colorful fish and you can like go out long in the water, never like surpasses or gets too deep in that capacity. And they even have some beaches where when you stand in the sand, it's so fine. It feels like you're walking in cooking flour. Like that Mm. level of soft and crystal clear. Just like a place free of pollution, free of like that. It's absolutely stunning and I highly recommend as well.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So um, this is Eddie Dasis with a great conversation with Pascal Sablan today and very excited for this uh, episode. Um, last word for you, Pascal.
2: Just of gratefulness. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you all for listening and hearing. And I really hope we all stay connected as we navigate the next steps in our journeys of our lives. Thank you. <laughs>
0: All right. So if you look looking to support uh, support our purpose, um, give a little. will help a lot. And let's create a brighter future by learning and sharing each other's journey. Donation can be from $25, $50, $100, or 500 If you look or more, we have a business... You can advertise um, on our podcast for free on one episode and you can visit the 617 237 You can please scan this um, QR code to donate Venmo, Cash App, um, PayPal. i um, very excited to have you guys today and this is Eddie Um, uh, You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere you listen to a podcast and check us online www.dppodcast.com thank you Pascal and excited to have you have a good day
2: thank you have a great day